I have been going so far with uh, actually, uh, I think, four shurim. You know, in really going into tremendous detail about what the entire saga of Mitzrayim was. Um, <clears throat> and one of the reasons for that is because that is the model of the future redemption. You see, in other words, all the ideas, all the different the, uh, aspects and details and the major themes that we see in Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, really is identical to what happens in the end of time. And therefore, I have been going into this with such detail, so you, you understand that <clears throat> not only from a historical perspective, but from also a uh, mystical perspective, Kabbalistic and so on, so you can actually look into a different type of window, you know, what the historical event called the Exodus from Egypt, Yetzirah Mitzrayim, really was about from a cosmic standpoint. Uh, so therefore, that's what I've been doing. And it, it, it continues as we get close at the Mountain Torah. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue with certain very fascinating ideas in terms of the whole concept of Sphira and Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, uh, and uh, certainly ideas which I, I think most people are unfamiliar with. In any case, now we know, I mentioned I think last time, that the major <clears throat> idea of Mitzrayim is to take away the sparks the nitsoitzis, which is the sparks of holiness, right? And to take them and transfer them from the sotan, the sitra akra, the other side, to what's called the sitra de kedusha, the side of holiness, which means to put them back into the spheres. That transfer of nitsoitzis. If that happens, we know that the zoyama of the sotan and you know what the Zoyim is. I ex uh, explained it extensively, right? It's, it's his force that he's able to project. And, uh, and, and uh, that's the Tumor, basically. And therefore, the Zoyama collapses. And he is evicted, the Satan, that is, from the human body. And eventually, he will die. If all the sparks leave him, he dies. So this is the major thing mystical or Kabbalistic theme of Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. And really that's what the Jews had accomplished in Egypt. You know, for the first time in history, after Adam Horishan, the first man, introduced all this, you know, where the sparks went into the hands of the Sultan and so on, the Jews had succeeded basically in ta taking it out. And because of that, because the Zoyamah collapses, and by the way, also the four worlds, which I had mentioned in the first year, the four environments of evil also collapsed, you see. And uh, like I said, I had mentioned this previously. So that is characterized by what's called the Atmos Yosef, which I also mentioned. And Yosef, who's the forerunner of Mashiach ben Yosef, right? So when they took his bones out of Egypt, 
what they really took <clears throat> is the Orishim, or the Or Mashiach, the Messianic light, or the first light, right? They took that out of Egypt, you see, because that ore, that light, what it really is is, the, is that ability to have insight into the sp- spiritual realms, right, which is what the Mashiach is going to reveal, right? All of that was what's called in the hands of the Klippah, in the hands of the Sultan, you see, because that's what it means that the sparks of holiness are in the hands of the Sultan. So we fail to see the Messianic light, which is an understanding of the upper worlds and how everything connects. And that is symbolized in the Atmos Yosef. Until now, Yosef, right, is buried in the Nile. That means that the light that he represents is also buried in the Nile, you see, which means that uh, the Sultan has access to that, you see. In any case, so when the Jews took out the sparks, they took out the messianic light from the what's called the klipa, from the tumor, from the hands of the Sultan. And that is symbolized by Yosef's bones being taken out of Egypt. And I mentioned that it's not just Atzmos Yosef, it can be read Atzmos Yosef or Atzmut Yosef, which means the essence of Yosef. Because etzem also means an essence. In any case, <clears throat> this is what's happening. So we see actually there's a sequence here, right? One, Jews, by sinning, or the world before that, before Avram, gives Nitzitzis, gives sparks to the Satan. Two, he uses it, right, in order to control the world, right? and to get the world to try to rebel or defy God. Three, the task, then I'm, I'm, over, I'm looking at the overview, then the task is to take out these sparks from the Satan. And then, of course, he dies. His, all his environments, called Kripot, collapse, you see. And because of that, the Messianic light now enters creation, or I should say enters this world. That's basically the scenario of redemption. That's basically the scenario of what everything is all about, you see. And we see also, of course, that the messianic light, of course, is the last stage. And that is represented by the bones of Yosef. That's what's coming out of Egypt. And, of course, it's going, uh, it's going to be heading toward Mount Sinai. And to show that this is true, if you recall, uh, I had said, when God spoke to Avram Avino, and he said after that they will go out with great, uh, you know, uh, great possessions. The gematria of Yetzu Berchush Godel is gematria, holy sparks, because that's really, right, right, what they've taken out of Egypt. Is with, and this is what you understand now. Now, it, when they're going out in, in Beshalach, it says, And all the hosts of God went out of Egypt. Right? Now, we know what are the hosts of God besides the Jewish people and so on. 
It's also the sparks that also went out of Egypt. Therefore, the gematria of Yotsu, Silas Hashem, right, is also gematria Nitzitzit Kedusha, sparks of holiness. And of course, that's remarkable. So whether they were captured, now they have to be released. It's all about this incredible divine energy, which is now going to be available to the Jewish people. <clears throat> and of course, that is ultimately what the Luchas Rishon is, what the first tablets were. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu himself is Mashiach ben Yosef. That's who he really is. And he fulfilled, if you think about it, the purpose. He took the Jews out of the the uh, the Tumah de Zoyamot, right? He brought them to uh, uh, to Eretz Yisrael without entering it. He gave them the Torah, you see? So in many ways, he did the job of Mashiach ben Yosef. And then by Matan Torah, by the giving of the Torah, of course, uh, there was the Luchas Rishonis. There are the first tablets. Now those first tablets is really the Messianic light. That's really what they are. In many ways, they're magical. You know, it says that if you were looking at the tablets from one side, automatically you could, you could read that side as well as the other side without having to turn around the tablets. And that's really what the Or Mashiach is. It is the ability to see completely through any type of phenomena, any type. And this is really what the Luchas Rishonis were, you see. So, therefore, those first tablets were really the Messianic light. That's really what it was, you see. But because of the Egel, the sin of the golden calf, <clears throat> then automatically the Zoyama returned, the Sutton was energized, and he was able to again project his Zoyama, his pollution, and that re-entered the body of the Jew, you see. So obviously, the Luchas Rishonis, which Moshe Rabbeinu would have given the Jewish people, could no longer be given to the Jewish people. Because the Messianic light cannot come to Jews if the Zoyama is in their body. That is a very important precondition. One cannot live, so to speak, side by side with the other. In other words, the Zoyama is an exact conflict, contradiction, opposite, right, of the Messianic light. So therefore, this Luchas Rishonis, right, which Moshe Rabbeinu was going to give the Jewish people, could no longer be given to the Jews because they had reintroduced the Zoyama back. Therefore, what the Rebbe had to do, obviously, is called the Luchashnias. He had to give second tablets. And those tablets were no longer the Messianic light, you see. They were the Torah in the form of halachas, things that the Jews would now have to do, the mitzvahs and so on, in order to again begin the process of evicting the Sultan and uh, destroying him, and then ultimately bringing the Messianic light. And that was what's called the Luchashnias, the second Luchas. No, it, it was Torah, but it was no longer the Torah, right, as a reward, right, or the ultimate outcome 
of removing the Zoyamah, where you see everything down to its ultimate cause, no longer was that true. The Torah was now in the form of what is called the instrument. <clears throat> One of the ideas to understand is what are the mitzvahs really, you see? Now, the mitzvahs themselves are not reward, obviously. Many times they, they uh, have a lot of difficulty in Messias Nefesh, self-sacrifice and performing them. But what the mitzvahs really are are instruments, triggers, where they are an instrument to bring down the lights or the energy or the power of the spheres. It's an instrument. It's like you walk into a room and you turn on the light switch. When you do a mitzvah, it releases somewhere in the structure of heaven. It releases an ore of the spheres, you see. And that ore in some way comes down and in a certain way addresses you, you see. But that's what the Torah is, you see. It's the form of instrument. But the Torah is also the form of, if you want to think about it, reward. That's the consequence which is the light itself that was released because of the mitzvahs, which are the instrument. You see, that's really the relationship between the original tablets, the first tablets, and the second tablets. The first tablets is the Orishim, or the Omishiach, the Messianic light, which is really what's called the payoff. That's really the reward, you see. Uh, and the second Luchas, Luchishnias is what? Is the Torah in its form of the instrument. What are the things or the mitzvahs that, uh, that you have to perform to again destroy the Satan by taking out all the sparks of holiness? That's the clear distinction. One is the instrument, second Luchas, and the first Luchas is the reward, right? Or the actual... Uh, the consequence of doing the mitzvahs, which of course ultimately is all of the lights will be revealed, not in the messianic era, but all of the enormous amount of spheres will be released in the future world, Ulam Habo. And we have no idea of what that means when all the energy and light of the spheres will be released. Now, <clears throat> what is interesting is this. Moshe Rabbeinu had a tremendous quandary. He had a big problem. Now, you'll notice one thing. When the Rabbi said to Moshe, after the Chet Egel, he said to Moshe, Lech, raid, go down. Right? Because your nation has corrupted itself. Ah, you see? So imagine that. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu holding the first tablets which is the messianic light. And God says, while he's still up there, right, is that uh, you go down, because go down means go down from your ability to be Mashiach, because you can't, because the Jewish people no longer deserve it, because they sin, and we know the sin of the golden calf. Uh, now the amazing thing is this, is that Moshe Rabbeinu, what does he do, Right? He goes down the mountain, sees the Jews sinning, and he takes the tablets and he throws them at the bottom of the mountain and it shatters, probably into a thousand pieces. 
Now, that's very odd behavior. Why? Imagine if somebody gives you jewelry, right, a diamond necklace, and he says, do me a favor, give it to such and such person who I know lives on your block. I can't get there, but do me a favor, you're going home, so maybe you deliver it to that person as a gift from me. So that, that person says, okay. What does he do? He goes to his home where he lives. But before going home, he goes to this house, the one he's supposed to give this golden uh, diamond necklace or ring or whatever. He knocks on the door, right? And uh, one of the kids, let's say, comes to the door and he says, uh, is your father home? And the kid said, no. Well, can I speak to him? And the kid said, well, you can't. He went away on a business trip. He went away to Israel, right? So, or, or the kid says the mother also went with him, so you can't give, even give it to her. Uh, so you say, thank you. The kid closes the door, and you figure, what do you figure? Well, I can't give it to them, right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it in the garbage pail. Does that make sense? Of course not. You can't do that just because the recipient is no longer there. You can't destroy that which you're supposed to give. But isn't that what Moshe Abeno did? What he should have done, right, when the Rebbe told him, your nation has corrupted itself. What the Moshe Abeno should have said, okay, obviously they cannot have this now because they, re, they re, uh, re, reintroduced the Zoyama into their body. So here, God, take it back. Isn't that what he should have done? Of course. And not only that, God told them, your nation has corrupted itself. All right. So not only Moshe should have given it back to God, but God should have said to Moshe, give it to me back. You can't give it to the Jews. Because here's what happens. If a person receives something which is much greater than their capacity for spirituality, they can die because they can't handle it. It's an interesting concept. You have to be at a certain level to handle a tremendous elevation in spirituality. And Moshe Rabbeinu was holding what? He was holding the Messianic light, you see? So he obviously couldn't give it to the Jews because it would kill them all. Because now that they had the Zoyama back in their body, they could not in any way receive. They didn't have the capacity to receive the Messianic light. So either the Bonisham should have given, take, said to Moshe, give it to me back, because they can't have it. Or Moshe should have said to the Bonisham, take it back. Right? Instead, what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Moshe Rabbeinu takes it and he throws it at the bottom of the mountain. He shatters it which is the equivalent of the man throwing the gift in the garbage because the parents are not home. Now, of course, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, and not only that, what's even a double mystery is the Gemara mentions this, that Moshe Rabbeinu did certain things, and God agreed with him, and not only that, he said, Yashikoyach, which means congratulations, that you did this. It's amazing. So when Moshe Rabbeinu broke the Luchas, God said, Yashikoyach, congratulations. Which means that the Rabbeinu was maskim. He agreed with what Moshe did. 
So the question is, wait a minute. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu think about doing this? How could this be a solution? It's true that the Jews are not worthy of receiving it. Fine. So give it back to God. How did Moshe Rabbeinu know what to do? That is the question. <clears throat> and not only that, why didn't Rabbeinu ask for it back? And why did he say, Yashikoyach? It's interesting. But he was really what happened, you see. <clears throat> the truth is, Moshe Rabbeinu had a tremendous problem. What is the problem? Because imagine in his hand is the power source of the messianic light. That's the first tablets. And Moshe Rabbeinu realized, I cannot give it to the Jews. Why? Because it'll kill them. They cannot receive this type of kedusha of holiness, much too overpowering. So Moshe Rabbeinu looked, and he didn't know what to do. But he realized something. Wait a minute. Why isn't God asking the Luchas Rishonis back? So he realized that God does not want it back. He doesn't want it back. In a certain sense, he wants the Jews to have the Messianic light. Because if you give it back to God, then the Jews will not experience any of the Messianic light until the Mashiach comes. And that is terrible, you see. So Moshe Rabbeinu realized that. It's interesting. The Bansham doesn't want it back. That tells me that he really wants me to figure out a way to give it to the Jews. But the problem is, it'll kill them. You see. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu figured it out. I mean, take a look at what he has to be bothered with, his concerns. It was always about the Jews. How can I raise and elevate their spiritual level? So this was the incredible compromise. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it down, but I can't give it to them where they can read the Luchas Rishonis. What I'm going to do is bust it. I'm going to break it up by shattering it, shattering it, let's say, into a thousand pieces. So, and then, where are those pieces now? So the Gemara Masech, the Shabbos says that Shivrei Luchas, the shards, the pieces of the Luchas Rishonis, are in the Oren. They were actually put in the Oren and the second Lucas is also in the urn. And behind that scattered is the pieces of the first. So here's what Moshe Rabbeinu understood. I can't give it to them outright because it'll kill them. But you know what I'm going to do? I will give them the fragments. So here's what it solves. They can't read it. If they can't read it, they won't die because they don't understand it. But because they have the pieces they will actually experience the Kedusha, the unbelievable force of the spheres that are tied to these tablet stones, pieces. You see, so therefore, even though we don't have the Messianic light, we do have, right, illusions, hints. We have the force of somewhat of the Messianic light you see? So therefore, at least that will help us elevate ourselves in Kedusha. You see? And of course, what was that? 
That's the whole study of Kabbalah. Because the messianic light really is Kabbalah. It's all about the upper worlds, the interface, who is God, the interface between God and the physical world, right? And how we connect with the upper worlds. It's about another reality, Kabbalah. And that reality is given to us because we have the Lucas Rishonis. It's interesting. So Moshe Rabbeinu solved the problem, you see. And therefore God said, Yashikoyach. Why? Because God doesn't want it back. He wants the Jews to have it. But the problem is they can't. So he said, Yashikoyach, congratulations to Moshe Rabbeinu, because Moshe Rabbeinu came up with the perfect compromise. You see? Where they will have the Luchas Rishonis, but it's unintelligible because it's shattered to a thousand pieces. But because we have the pieces we can actually receive the force of the holiness of the Luchas. Very interesting what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Look, he had to always be at the top of his game, so to speak, in order to figure out, and it's not the first time, how to help the Jews, even though they're sinning so many times. And he always had to figure it out. That's the true leadership of who Moshe Rabbeinu really is. Now, I want to tell you something. If the Jews had taken or gotten the Luchas Rishonis, what happens? In the Messianic era, what's going to happen? Then every Jew, we will see more, but every Jew will do what? You can close your eyes, sit down, and all of a sudden, you become an incredible Novi prophet. Because remember, there's no Zoyamor that is blocking Right? Your ability to see that messianic light. You will have complete clarity of whatever concepts you are realizing. Remember, this is the highest level of prophecy that you will be experiencing. Not only will you have complete clarity of the ideas, but you will understand the implications of the ideas. Because many times you have an idea and it has implications, derivatives, what can be derived from the idea. So you will automatically know that as well. Not only that, there will be no hardship whatsoever. I mean, now when you learn, right, what happens? You have to struggle to understand what's called a Sugyan Gemara, right? It's hard. Many times you can spend weeks on one Sugya. But the Messianic light just goes into your head without any difficulty whatsoever, and the reason for that is because the Zoyamot that is part of you acts as a barrier, acts as a block not to see this incredible spiritual and divine knowledge. That's what makes it so hard, you see. And, and it's interesting. And one of the ways of manifestation of the blockage is that all of a sudden you don't see the idea or you have a lot of different questions right? And you don't know the answers. All of that is a manifestation of this blockage of the Zoyama, what's called the Klippas. And not only that, there's a tremendous speed. You, experience, you, you can know the ideas of the Messianic light with tremendous acceleration and speed. And then besides that, you experience the knowledge, not as knowledge, you see, but actually 
as an experience emotionally of the information, you see. And what's very interesting is that all of this information in the messianic light is super-organized, you see. It's no longer difficult to figure out because it's all over the place, you see. And I'm going to talk about that. But it's tremendously organized. Everything is in its right place. All the relationships between the Torah ideas are revealed completely, automatically, and immediately. Yes, that's what it is to experience the messianic light, which we will all experience when the Mashiach comes. It's an entirely different way of relating and connecting to God and the spiritual universe. In any case, so this is really what the experience of the Luchas Rishonis would have had. Very interesting. Now, what you have to understand also is this, you see. Once the Jews sinned at the golden calf, and this is a very important idea, then the Torah itself, not only will the, the, the Zoyama re-enter the body of the Jew, but the Torah, which is the Luchas Rishonis, itself entered the Kripa. What does that mean? Well, what it means is what I'm saying. It now came, became incredibly difficult to access Torah. In other words, what surrounds the Torah now is what's called the Kripa, is the Satan, is the Zoyama. And that serves as a barrier to learning and understanding the Torah. And that's why Torah is so difficult, which is interesting. If Torah was not surrounded by the Zoyamor, then it would be, right, the Orishim, and it would be exactly like I said before, complete clarity, all the implications, easy, it would be a real experience, tremendous speed, and incredible uh, organization, you see? But since the Torah is surrounded by a creeper, the Torah is surrounded by the Zoyama itself, therefore we don't have any of this. Torah is very difficult to learn, right? It takes hours to figure out any implication. It's very hard, right? And the speed, forget about the speed, it takes years to figure out the Torah. And in many ways the Torah itself is disorganized, if you think about that. The Torah is like a jigsaw puzzle, right? If I give you a thousand pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, right, what's the first thing you're going to ask me for? You're going to ask me for the box because you need to see the picture. Torah is like a thousand pieces, but there's no box. That's one of the reasons why Torah is so difficult to understand because the relationship between many, many ideas is not revealed, you see. And all of this is because of the Zoyama of creation, you see. Very important idea. In fact, in the Gemara, in, uh, it says, a Apostolic in, in Eov, Bamechashchim Hoshivani, you have placed me in darkness. I think it's an Echo. You have placed me in, in, uh, in darkness. And the Gemara says something which is really incredible. The Gemara says, Zu Talmud Bavli, D 
This is the Babylonian Talmud. In other words, when it says that you have placed me in darkness, it refers to the Babylonian Talmud. What does that mean? So there are different shatim and so on. But one of the central ideas is that when you learn Gemara, it's like going through darkness. It's like trying to put a jigsaw puzzle together, right, without a box. That's darkness. Why? And the answer is because that's the klipah. That's what happened to the Torah as a result of the fact, right, that the Jews sinned in the golden calf, and therefore the Zoyamor re-entered creation in the sense of the Jewish body. But it also surrounds the Torah itself. So not only do we not have access to the Kabbalistic information or the information of the entire reality called the, you know, the heavenly reality and so on, right? But also it's surrounded with barriers, very difficult. But that means something very important. That means that the task of learning Torah is really you have to take it out of the Klippah you need to take the Torah out of the Zoyamor. That's really the task. Because if that ever happened, what would happen? It would be like the Orishan, like the Messianic light. It would immediately emerge, right, from the Zoyamor, and it would be tremendous clarity, easy, speed, organized, and all the implications. And you would experience it emotionally. So, therefore, the real task of Torah, strangely enough, isn't to learn the Torah, but it's to take it out of the Kripa, out of the Zoyamor. The question is, how do you do that? You see, and the answer is Yegiyah, effort, right? That's the way. The more, that's why, the more a person is Yegiyah, the more a person labors and strives and works hard and sweats, to learn the Torah, the greater is the breakage of the Zoyamor, of the Klippa that surrounds the Torah. Yes, it's very interesting. So it's interesting why, because somebody could learn the Torah and really sweat over it in New York, and therefore he could break the Klippa that surrounds an idea of Torah in New York, but since the Klippa is broken, right, on that piece of Torah, then somebody in Los Angeles learning that piece at the same time will now know that piece of Torah because somebody else broke the Klippa. It's interesting. But we now begin to realize what the essential task is, you see, is to take it out of the Klippa, to remove the barriers where it now becomes a different type of Torah. Yegiyo is the critical idea. And now we understand why it says, They give effort. Amelim means they are omel. They, uh, they strive. They uh, spend a lot of effort. And we do it. They strive to know the enum schar. And we're referring to non-Jews. They do not get reward for this. Why? Because in the non-Jewish world, what counts isn't how much you struggled, it's what do you know. If you know the stuff, great. If you struggled and it took you 10 hours to figure it out, who cares? You know, it's nice. But the main idea is not the effort. The main idea, right, is the product. 
That's the idea. But in Judaism, it says they labor, right, and they do not receive reward, right? Their reward only comes with knowing the fact. Our reward comes vanachnu amelim, but we mekabim We get reward. Why? Because the, it's it's a very strange idea. Because the main idea of a Jew is not just to learn it, right? But it's to break the barriers that surround it, that surrounded it at the time of Matan Torah. You see, is to break those barriers, and as a result of that, it will become free. It will be the ocean. It's 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 a fascinating understanding of an entirely different objective, you see, and that's what the essential idea is, you see. In any case, so therefore we now understand many many different things, you see. <clears throat> now to continue, we know also that God revealed the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments. Right? I'm the Lord your God that took you out of Egypt. Right? And you shall have no other gods before me. And so on. Those two commandments were not given by Moshe. We know that they were given by God directly to the Jews. That is why the numerical value of Torah is not 613. It's 611. Because the Torah as Moshe is only 617 commandments. Two of them, first two of the Ten Commandments, were given directly by God to the Jewish people, which is amazing, you see. And God wanted to do that, you see. So it comes out that the Jews were the recipient, right, of the first two commandments of the Torah, not through Moshe Rabbeinu, which has tremendous uh, implications. One, is that the only way you can receive Torah, especially if you're the first one, is you, if you have the level of prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. So it comes out that for those two mitzvahs, which were revealed directly to every single Jew at Har Sinai, they were all equal to Moshe Rabbeinu in terms of his prophecy. So it says that Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, was the greatest prophet that ever lived, Right? So therefore, it comes out that every Jew experienced the level of prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. They had to, because they were the conduit of the first two mitzvahs for the rest of the Jew, for, for all time. And therefore, they had to have the clarity of that prophetic uh, you know, level. Because to receive the Torah, you have to be, have prophecy at the highest level so that it should be completely clear. That's amazing. Why did God do that? Why didn't he just give the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu? Why give the Jews the first two mitzvahs? And not only that, what is even more amazing is the Medrash says, Chazal tells us, that it was so overpowering. Could you imagine God reveals to you the same way he revealed himself to Moshe. He reveals to you and he actually gives you the Torah, directly to you, you see, that level of holiness was so great that every Jew died. This is what the Chazal tell us. Everybody died because they could not handle 
the prophetic level of of a person what what he has to have when he receives the Torah. You see, now Moshe was used to that because, as the Chazal tell us, he was half man, half God. You see, but not the Jews. The Jews had just come out of Egypt, right? And it was the fifty days after Egypt. They certainly were not at that level. Yet it said they all died. So the Torah, Chazal tell us, came in front of God, whatever living entity represents the Torah. And he said, I don't understand. Who are you going to give me to a dead people? So God said, no, I am now going to resurrect them. And he gave them the do of Tchiesa Mesim. And all the Jews were resurrected. Now that's incredible. This is Tchiesa Mesim, isn't it? Because obviously, he had to resurrect them to give the rest of the Torah, you see. And when the Jews were resurrected, they all came running to Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you give us the Torah. We cannot tolerate this. And that this is all in Chumash. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu had to give the rest of the Torah. But what do we see? We see certain things which are actually unbelievable that God wanted to give not just the first two mitzvahs he wanted to give all the mitzvahs to the Jews not to Moshe this is what we begin to see and the only reason why he didn't is because the Jews said we cannot tolerate this right we can't do this we're all going to die again so therefore Moshe of course he had he was the conduit to receive the, the Torah itself. But how do we begin to really understand this? You see. <clears throat> now, the idea of Tchiyas now God knew they would die. Obviously he knew they would die. Right? So why did he give the first two commandments, even if he wanted to? And then they're all dead. And then he has to resurrect them. Because I had mentioned that the real way of removing the Zoyamor, right, is death. Because the body decomposes, the Zoyama leaves, and then the body becomes pure Geshem, and then the Neshama goes back. That's Tchies isn't it? Right? Therefore, that's the only way to remove the Zoyama. So, what God wanted, you know, now that the Jews had removed the Zoyama, right, they did so with the suffering in Egypt and so on. But that only removed the basic the basic uh, foundation but the residue of the Zoyama had to be removed also so therefore they all had to die experienced some resurrection of the dead then when they got up they had no Zoyama you see so that was on purpose the Jews God knew they would die and on purpose he had them die so they now can remove the Zoyama right because uh, that's what death does and as a result of that, all the Jews have no Zoyama. It's now all the Satan now external to the human body. And they're only Geshem. You see? Actually, if you think about it, that's really what happens in Gan Eden. A person dies. Now, I had said it quite a while ago that a person is supposed to have Zikuch. Zikuch is, well, first you have to remove the Zoyama. And then the Neshama re-enters the body and purifies the body itself to a higher level. 
And that is the ascent that a person does where he goes from a world of Geshem, material, goes to the world of spiritual, then goes to the world of the divine, where he is the Nishama in Ulim Habo. However, since the Nishama can, cannot mezakeh, cannot purify Zoyama, that's why a person dies. He dies, right? Zoyama leaves, right? But meanwhile, where does the Nishama go? It's got to wait until Tchir to resurrection of the dead. So the soul goes to Gan Eden, which is a holding spot. It's really what it is. It's an area where all the Nishamas are waiting to re-enter their bodies by Tchir and then Zikuch, right? Purification of the body can now begin to take place at a certain level. That's why there is a Gan Eden, you see. Because a Nishama cannot remove or purify Zoyama, you see. So that's why you have Tchir and that is why you have Gan Eden, you see. And that is why God knew that the Jews would die. And as a result of that, right, they would die. And uh, he would be able to remove the Zoyama, externalize the Zoyama, and these Jews would now be Geshem, right? Which is a fit way of receiving the Luchas Rishonis, the, the tablet itself. So we now understand but what we really begin to understand is something which is amazing. You see, what is God's original plan? If it wasn't for the golden calf, it would have been a completely different plan. You see, one, every Jew would have been a residence of the divine plan. Without Zoyamor, each Jew would become a Beis Amigdash. Right. Because it says in Tumor, when God commands to build a, uh, uh, the Beis Hamikdash, a Mishkan, He says, And I will dwell in their midst. <clears throat> it should have said, And I will dwell in it, means the, base, the, the tabernacle, the Mishkan. But it says, I will dwell in them. What does that mean? That means the residence of God is really the Neshama. And that's how He enters creation, through the Neshama. So in a certain sense, we are the Beis HaMikdash, you see. So before the golden calf, every Jew would have been a Beis HaMikdash, and God would have entered creation into the Neshama, and every Jew would have been like a Beis HaMikdash, a resident of God. But because of the sin of the golden calf, right, then as a result of that, Vishokhanti Besoicham, and I will dwell in their midst, still holds true, in other words, God enters the creation through the neshama of a Jew, because we are the residents. But because of the sin of the golden calf and the zayama, right, we do not experience the shechina internally. Even though internally is how God enters creation. You see, the only way to experience the shechina is you have to go to the Beis Hamikdash, which now becomes a building. You see the change. Before this, every Jew should have been the Beis Amigdash. Because God enters creation like the portal of the, this world for the entry of the Shekhinah is the Nisham of the Jew. But since the sin of the golden calf, the Jew can no longer feel and experience the Shekhinah within him. So he has to go to a place in Yushalayim, right? The Beis Amigdash. 
to experience it. But that's a result of the uh, sin of the golden calf. You see, <clears throat> that's what God wanted, is that each Jew should be the Beis Amigdash, even though there would have been also a Mishkan, but that's in order to bring sacrifices or offerings, right? And also, uh, not then, but later on, to unify the Jews in the Regal, which uh, there are three pilgrimage festivals. Uh, but in, in the beginning, that's not the purpose of the Beis Amigdash, because each Jew would be a Beis Amigdash, you see. So that's the first idea, you see. Now, that's what God wanted, is that each Jew should be a Beis Amigdash, number one. And the second thing God wanted, right, is that each Jew should receive the Torah by himself, not through Moshe. That's why the first two, it wasn't an accident, but God revealed himself to each Jew the way he revealed himself to Moshe because that revelation encompassed two mitzvahs, you see. So really God wanted every Jew to be the conduit, to be the makabal of Torah. But they didn't do it, you see. They said we cannot tolerate that type of holiness, right? And therefore what we need to do is please you be the conduit. That's really what God's plan was originally. And that plan will be restored, you see, in the Messianic era. The Messianic era is very different than what is now, you see. The Messianic era is where each Jew really will be a Beis Amigdash. Of course we will have the Beis Amigdash Lishi, as I had mentioned, the third Beis Amigdash. But that will be for the purposes of where the Divine Presence also rests, you see. But that is for the purpose of offerings, which there are some, and also for the purpose of the pilgrimage festivals where all the Jews can get together and unify as a nation in the front of the Beis Hamikdash. So there will always be a Beis Hamikdash, but for the purposes of residence of the Divine Presence, the Shekhinah, every Jew will be a Beis Hamikdash. It's something we cannot even begin to understand. And that's how really, uh, since there will be that, that is how each Jew experiences the divine energy, the messianic light itself. You see? So that will be restored in the messianic era. Because in the messianic era, there is no Zoyamo, you see. And there's no barrier to the Torah. Because the Jews will have been successful of eliminating the Zoyamo and the Sultan because he will be dead or removed completely. So there is no longer any Zoyamo, you see. Now, we don't have any idea what that means, you see. But from the original uh, idea of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, from that original event, the fact that God gave each Jew two mitzvahs directly without Moshe, not from Moshe, tells us what the intent or the original plan really was. But it's interesting. So we see, therefore, that the Jews rejected that plan, right? And therefore the question is, well, does that mean the plan of God is foiled? Right? Obviously that's what happened. You know, he went so far as to give them the two commandments. 
they all died and then he resurrected them, which means that was the complete eviction of the Zoyamo, right? And then they had the last test, which I mentioned, and that was killed the sudden, right? And of course, uh, they ran to Moshe and said, we can't do this. And then of course, then they did the ego. But what happens to God's plan? So we know that in the Messianic era, it will be rejuvenated, right? But the truth is there's something else which went on. God did not give up. And there's an incredible idea or event that happened that God did not want to give up. He still wanted the Jews to receive the Torah, all of them by themselves, and that they themselves would be a Besamekdash. But I will tell you that next week. Any questions? Anybody there? Yeah. Any questions? Um, so, my question is, is that <clears throat> the Nishama is located in our brain, right? <coughs> uh, the Nishama is located, yes, it's connected to the brain. Okay. And that gives us the ability to connect to the spirituality of Hashem and the mitzvah. Yes. Well, really, there's two, there's two aspects of the Neshama which is higher. It's called the Chaya and Yechidi. There are five parts of the Neshama. Correct. The Nefesh connected to the liver, right? The Ruach is connected to the heart, the Neshama to the brain. The Chaya surrounds the body like an aura. And then you have the Yechida, which is not connected to the body, but it is really your link to the Shechina, you see. Okay. Now, what were you asking? So now, Veshachanti Betocham, Hashem is his main, like, uh, that's, Asherim Elohim, that's technically mostly in the Neshama? Like, how is, how is, where, in what part of us, in what part of the, of the Neshama, is it really that, 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 you know, that Shalem Elohim, the spark of Hashem that... You mean the Shechina? Not the You mean the Shechina, the Divine Presence? Yes. But, but not That's Shechina, divine... meaning the, 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 the spark that we have within us, that Hashem gave us. We all have... A yeah, so that, 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 what that really is, is the Shechina, right, is connected to the Yechida. That's how you connect to the Shechina. And then from the Echida, whatever influence uh, energy is being radiated from God to the Echida, then goes to the Chaya, the Neshama, the Ruach, and then the Nefesh. But you are connected to God on the, based on the Echida. That's why the Echida, in a certain sense, is so holy that it's not connected to the body, not the way the other four parts are, you see. So when it says, right, it means that God connects to the neshama of every Jew through his yechida. And therefore, in an amazing way, you are the Beis HaMikdash. Because the essential idea 
of the Beis Hamikdash is that it is a residence of God. That's really what the essential idea is. You know what I mean? So who says, why do I have to go to an outside place to experience God? Right? You don't, really. So had the Jews not sinned at the golden calf, they would not have to go to the base of Migdash to experience the Shkina. They would experience it within themselves, which is exactly, basically, what's going to happen, right, to the Jews in the Messianic era. You see, now the base, the Mishkan in those days is very important after the Chetuel, like I say, because it's a place that you bring offerings, sacrifices, korbonis, which is a very important part of the Avodah, the service of Christ Israel. And also, it's the place of unification of all the Jewish people three times a year. And that's what happens, the three regolim, or the pilgrimage festivals, you see, which everybody gets together. I mean, we don't even know what it was like when all the Jews went to Jerusalem to be part of Pesach and Shavuos and Sukkot. It must have been unbelievable, you see. But in any case, um, really the Shekhinah enters the creation through the Neshama and always will. But because of the sin of the golden calf, God said, even though I enter through you, therefore you certainly can experience me, right? But because of the barrier of the Zayama, which the Jews reintroduced in creation because of the sin in the golden calf, right? You will no longer experience me from within you, even though I enter you. You can only experience me if you go to the Beis Hamikdash. You see. So now, do we have any access to our Yechida? What could we do to access it? No, we have no access to the Yechida. Technically, we can't really feel the presence of Hashem. No, the one who has the Yechidah, by the way, is the Mashiach. Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David have the Yechidah. In fact, the Yechidah of all the Jews, other Mauritian had the Yechidah of all the Jews, because he was really a composite of everybody. So his Yechidah was gigantic, if you want to look at it that way. It was the Yechidah of or Klai Yisrael. It's called Knesset Yisrael. So when he sinned, that split. One half of the Yechida, and not only that, but it left him in order that it shouldn't be tainted by his sin of eating from the Eitz which is really amazing. So the Yechida is the only thing of other Mauritian that does not have any kind of Tumor, Zoyamor, whatever you want to call it, contamination, at all, because it flew away or disconnected right before Adam ate from that tree. And later what happens is it splits. One half of Yechida goes to Mashiach ben Yosef, and the other half goes to Mashiach ben David. And that is what makes them the Mashiach. The Yechida is the crown that makes these people Mashiach. That is why they are so incredible. Because they have everybody's Yechida 
not that they have your Yechidah and they keep it. No. They have the Yechidah. That means the power of the Yechidah goes through their, their Yechidah and connects to you. You see? So Yechidah is the only aspect of the Neshama of Odomarishan that was never defiled by his sin. And those are the Messianic crowns. And only the true Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David have that or will have that. And that is why they, in, in many ways, they can access the Orishan, the divine energy of the spheres. And they have the greatest amount of, of uh, connection to God because of that. Uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable what, what, that, what their power is because they are connected, or they have, I should say, the Yechid of Adam Horishan. You see. I once read that... Um, you once what? Uh, I once read that the act of doing a mitzvah has five parts to it, and it correlates to the five parts of the neshama. And they said that the highest way to activate a mitzvah and to like, uh, connect it to Hashem is through the mitzvah through happiness. <coughs> that's how you activate the <coughs> well no I never heard that particular thought but it's certainly an interesting thought yeah, so I'm not like familiar the, with the that through the mitzvah and then the action to do it like there's all five different steps and the highest step was to, uh, to finally do it through happiness and that's when it really gets elevated to Hashem well I, I well, oh yeah I, I, I could see what he's whoever said that um Oh yeah, I could see why he said that. I don't know, I don't know if you see that, because one of the clawless, one of the curses that God says, why he's bringing what's called the the uh, curses, the, you know, the uh, afflictions, the toicha, and the chukosai, and and so on, kisavoi, whatever. It says the tachas asheloi ovadato es Hashem lokecho besimcho. Because you did not serve God with joy. That's one of the reasons why the Jews are afflicted with terrible, you know, uh, punishments and so on. You see. Uh, so based on what he is saying, joy then would make a person worthy of punishment. The lack of it, I should say. You see. And that would certainly indicate if that's one of the main ideas of why the Jews have to be punished because they did not experience joy, simcha, I would call it more than happiness. Happiness is much lower. Joy is much higher, you see, because they did not experience the joy of doing the mitzvahs or more specifically, the joy of being uh, a prince of God and not worshipping him with such ecstasy and joy. Yeah. And that's a very important uh, part of the Avrida. The Ari, once, uh, somebody once asked him, the great Kabbalist, the Ari, how are you Zoycha? How did you merit to have this incredible amount of knowledge about Kabbalah? So he said that he was very careful that every time he did a mitzvah, right, he would, you know, think about it 
and work himself up to an unbelievable state of joy. So the reward for that, you see, the fact that he was so unbelievably ecstatic, exhilarating, joyful, happy, you see, gave him an incredible merit to know the Kabbalah at the level that he knew, which is awesome, you see? So we do see clearly allusions to that joy is among the highest madrega level of uh, achievement that a Jew can have, you see. <clears throat> you know why? You know what the logic is? If a person does something, right, the question is, what does he believe about what he's doing? What's his mindset or his, his belief set about what he's doing? Now, the way you can always see what a person's mindset is about what he's doing is to watch his emotions. If you see somebody with an incredible display of joy when he does something, then you know he really believes in that thing, that that thing is valuable. Or else why, would, why, why is he so happy? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you walk over to a guy and say, by the way, you just won the lottery, right? $400 million. It's yours. You know what that guy's going to do? That's assuming he would stay awake or that he wouldn't faint, right? He wouldn't know what to do with himself. The manifestation of joy would be beyond belief. Why? Because he believes that money will answer all his wishes. And he has just been granted all his wishes. So the joy is a reflection of what his real belief is in terms of what was just told him. Now, if you believe God exists, right, and that the mitzvah is going to give you Olam Habo, which is infinitely greater than $400 million, if you really believe that, guess what? Wild horses couldn't keep you back from doing that mitzvah. You'd run to do that mitzvah. The joy would be unbelievable. So in the end, joy is a disclosure about what your belief is about what you're doing, you see. So when God says, one of the reasons why I'm bringing the punishment, you didn't serve me with joy, which means that, you know, did you really believe, you know, that this is going to give you Olam Habo? No. Because if you really believed it, you'd run to do the mitzvahs. You'd run to do every mitzvah because you would believe what it does. See, that's why joy, if you think about it, is among the greatest, maybe it is the greatest, of the levels of achievement because it indicates your belief about what you're doing that it is really supreme in the eyes of God and this will lead to a situation where you will be infinitely blessed. And this, therefore, was the problem that Jews did not have that. And God said, you know, I will bring the punishments, the afflictions, because you don't have joy. So if Rabbi Nachman said that, that's what he was alluding to. And the truth is, he's right. I'm just explaining why he's right. 
you know, based on the Teichcho, and what joy psychologically does for a person. Yes. If we really all believed in what a mitzvah really is, that it connects us to God directly, that it will get us Oilam Habo and it'll put us in a divine state of Dvekas, we would run to do the mitzvah. You see. Just like a guy runs, if a guy let me tell you something, if a guy, you know, uh, has a, a, a lottery ticket, right? And like I said, use the previous example, and he found out that his lottery ticket has the winning number for four hundred million dollars, what do you think he's gonna do? He's gonna run to that place that he bought the ticket. He's not gonna walk. If he does walk, it's because he's about to faint, you know. But he's going to run because the belief in what that ticket will now give him is beyond expectations. It's unbelievable. Same idea with a mitzvah. And that's what the Ari said, that his ability, right, to uh, know and therefore be unbelievably joyous was obviously of an incredible level. And that's why he was zeicher to know the secrets of God. You see? Okay, so my next question is, is that um, B'nai Israel, they weren't, basically, uh, for the first tablets, they weren't big enough of a vessel to receive the, the messianic light that those first tablets had, right? Right, so, because of the sin of the golden calf, right? So now, how are we going to be big enough of a vessel to receive that light? <clears throat> the answer to that it probably has several parts. You know, first of all, you have to remember one thing. You know, they were at the beginning of the job, so to speak. We're at the end of the job. We don't have that much to do, really. You know, I, I, I once said, you know, we don't realize that, but... 98%, maybe 99 by now, of the sparks of holiness is back in the side of Kedusha. Holiness. Yeah, we don't realize that. 99% of the job that the Jews have been struggling with for thousands of years, I mean, we're looking since Avraham Avinu, it's 4,000 years, is mostly done, you see. They, by the Chet Egel, they started out at that mission, 3,300 years ago, you know, so we could say that they had much more to do, but like I said, we're at the end of the job, really, so how much more is there to do? That's number one. The second thing is, in many ways, and this has been verified by Gedoidim, you know, in fact, your question, uh, really, if I remember correctly, Rabbi Chaim Vital asked the Ari, you know, he said, you know, now who are we? We're really nobodies compared to the Amaroim and the Tanoim and the Nevi'im, I mean, who are we really, you know? And if they couldn't bring Mashiach, we're going to bring Mashiach. And I'll tell you something which is very important, that in a certain sense, we are greater than them. Do you know why? Because the test or the re- amount of reward, it says in the Gemara, lefum tsaro agro, right? Lefum tsaro, according to the pain, the effort, agro is the reward. That means two people could do the same mitzvah, uh, but one person's reward 
is a million times greater. Why? It's the same physical act. Because maybe one person had to give up an enormous amount. His test was much harder. His self-sacrifice was off the charts. So his reward is much greater than the other person who does the identical mitzvah physically. So that's a very important thing to remember. We live in a, ge- in a generation where our effort is much greater than the effort of previous generations. And this is what the Ari told Rabbi Chaim Batal. We live in a generation that's completely dark. We're in Memteshari Tumor. We live in a generation where there are 49 levels of Tumor. There are so many distractions, so many horrors. There are so many perversions out there. And there are so many foreign ideology, atheistic ideologies, theological ideologies, right? There is so much to distract us. It's unbelievable, you see? But because we live in a generation that is so much darkness, therefore when you do a mitzvah, it's much greater than when somebody else does the same mitzvah a thousand years earlier. That's why. So even though it's easier to think of yourself, you know, or ourselves, who are we? We're nobodies. It's true. In a certain sense, we are nobodies, right? I mean, what level of holiness have we reached? What level of righteousness have we reached? You know, it's, actually, it's quite embarrassing. But because we live in a generation of some unbelievable hardship, darkness to be religious, you see, therefore every mitzvah we do counts millions of times greater than if you were in generation of, let's say, Rabbi Akiva. When they have people walking around, they can do Tchis HaMesim, resurrection of the dead. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they were much greater than we are in that way. But we are greater because, not because of the physical act or the level of spiritual achievement. We are greater because our difficulty is much greater than these people. Therefore, our reward is greater. And even though we don't experience the same spiritual level as they, for obvious reasons, that's because the generation does not allow us to. But the day will come when the messianic era will be open, right? And for everybody to see, then you will be given your proper reward of Nevoah and Vekas based on your hardship, not necessarily only on your mitzvahs. Of course, you have to do mitzvahs. But the real payoff is how difficult it is for us to remain religious. Look, there are 12 million Jews that are gone. That never happened before. They're not Torah observant. Many Jews don't even know they're Jews. And then what is there, 15 million Jews? That, that, that shows how hard it is to become a Jew. Why well, should say remain a Jew and to do the Torah and the mitzvahs? If 12 million people are gone, why are they gone? Because that indicates how difficult it is to remain Torah observant in this generation. You see? So every person that struggles daily to remain a believing Jew, a munim bitochen, 
is worth billions of dollars to God. We don't see that now, but we will see. And that, therefore, is the answer. You are not what you think you are. You meaning all of us. We are not what we think we are. We are millions of times greater than we can imagine. And to cap it off, now you understand. It says, Rabbi Yeshua Navy, I think his son, went up to heaven. He went up to heaven, and then he came down. You know, it doesn't mean he went up physically. It means his consciousness was, uh, he was able to see. He had Ruch Kodesh, so he could see in the world of Yitzira. So they asked him when he came back, what did you see up there? So he uttered the famous statement, Oilim Hofahu. It's an upside-down world. Whoever was great here is basically almost a nobody up there. And whoever was a nobody here is an unbelievable guddle up there. How could that be? How could we not see who's really worth something? And the answer is because the critical deciding, determining factor of who you are is not your physical act. It's the yagiya, the hardship, the darkness of the klipa that you would have had to undergo to remain God-fearing, to believe and trust in God. And that you cannot see. You see? You can have Mr. A, who is unbelievably doing mitzvahs, and then Mr. B, who barely does any. But Mr. B may have an unbelievable struggle to do those couple of mitzvahs, which would make B much greater than A. Now, we don't see it here, but the son of Rabbi Yeshua Levi saw it up there. And he said, you can't believe it. Guys who are nobody's here are guys who are walking around. them up there. The question is how? And I'm telling you, we do not have the ability to measure righteousness. Forget about it. But I can tell you now, the level of righteousness of people who are Torah observant today is off the charts. We cannot believe the accomplishment that they do to bring the end. You see. So Mashiach and Yosef, he's the one that starts the, that messianic light coming in? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, because he has the echid of Adam Arishan. He has the real connection to the Shekhinah. All of us. Does that at like, does he give it to everyone at the same time? Or does certain people get it first? How does that work? <clears throat> you mean the, what's the sequence of giving it out? Yeah, meaning like if you did more mitzvahs, you'll probably, or, or you more... Uh, you have a more devikut to Hashem, uh, so earlier on, you probably will access your chidam more quickly than people that didn't. <clears throat> well, that, that concept of incremental growth, that's true by Tchiyas Amesim, which I once mentioned. That when Tchiyas Amesim start, starts uh, in, in, in uh, what's today, 2022, in uh, eight years from now, that's when the Zoya says it starts, you know, Right? So it'll be incremental, which means it'll take 210 years for everybody to get up. So that depends on how thick your Zoyama is. 
And that obviously depends on, you know, how much you were involved in Oyam you know. So that's true. But the concept is when Mashiach bin Yosef comes and he is allowed then to introduce the Orishan, then it's open to everybody. The, so the, the, the actual ability to connect to the Orishan will be simultaneous. But the amount, in a certain way, will be, uh, you know, proportional to your avoidah, you see. But the mere fact that you are now open to the Orishan and you have no Zoyamor automatically will place you many miles ahead of where you are now. And we see that by the maidservant at Kriyas Yamsuf. I mean, he has a woman, a maidservant, right? So you think about it, I mean, you know, what's the big deal about her? Yet she saw more than Yechezkel Ezekiel, the prophet, who described Kabbalistically, right, the Maisimakova, the divine chariot, right? So you can imagine, if this is what a regular maidservant saw, could you imagine what the other people, you know, who are much greater in righteousness than this maidservant? So it's not so much, once it's open, it's open. The question is quantity. You see, that will probably depend on who you are. Just like resurrection of the dead depends on who you are. I mean, that's how they differentiate. There has to be some type of differentiation. I mean, there's what's called a commonality, a common occurrence, and then there's called occurrences which are based on your level of striving. So you really have both.